0: opportunity i think it was yesterday to ask some people what they believe my job was what was it that i do what was it if you looked at the body of christ what is it that you believe that i do for for a living or my my ministry okay and uh, most of you have known me long enough know that i kind of try to keep it simple because it gets cluttered and it just gets cluttered and um they, they said some wonderful things, uh, and, I, and I appreciated what they said. But the thing is, is that I can focus my ministry very simply. I am a priest and a prophet. Bummer, huh? I mean, you thought there was more to it. The spiritual gift that I possess is that of prophecy. Okay, a prophet brings to the people what God has said. A priest takes the people back to God. Many of you are priests. If you're saved this day, you're a part of a royal priesthood. Your gift may not be prophecy. That's what I do. The objective of my ministry is to, uh, as I perceive a priest prophet, is to bring people to a place of submission to the Word of God. Think about it. I'm a priest and a prophet. I want to take you to the Lord and I want to tell you what the Lord has said. How do I do that? I just bring you to submission to the word of God. If I bring you to submission to the word of God, then you have entered into the presence of God. At the same time, thus saith the Lord. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing in this text. Okay? He is dealing with personal holiness. All right? And he started literally, actually started in verse uh, 11 of chapter 1 and it's just cranking it out but uh, you can see him dealing with specific issues in chapter 7 he's going to deal with the issue of marriage uh, chapter 6 he's dealing with the issue of, uh, of litigation but he's also dealing with your personal responsibility and then in chapter 5 he was dealing with uh, an immoral situation had arisen in the church and they were doing nothing about it okay uh, and, and yet uh, he comes into this text and we are in a, in, in a culture, a society that is so much similar to what the church in Corinth was had to deal with that it's almost. Uh, well, from my perspective, it's frightening <laughs> from um, uh, another perspective. I look at it and say, uh, thus saith the Lord, and he has even prepared us for the things we would not be uh, aware of. We looked at the misunderstood position of the church. Uh, many today in our society, maybe even in this body that is gathered today, have misunderstood the position of the church. Uh, the church's authority is only based in the heavenlies. Um, you've heard that text that describes uh, uh, when two or more are gathered in my name, I am there with them. Has everybody heard that? And and we plug all kinds of weird things into it. It means prayer or fellowship groups or Bible studies and all the rest of it. No, it means discipline. Okay? Anytime there are two saints who are in agreement at the Word of God in the manner of discipline, Christ is there. Okay? You've heard that one, that whatever is bound here on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever is loosened here on earth is loosened in heaven. That's still discipline. Uh, when I put a person under discipline of the authority of the Word of God, um, they are bound; they have been captive. Okay. When I loosen that restriction, uh, they have loosened. Heaven has already is in absolute agreement with, with us when we do those things, uh, and and we've had to do that uh, one time in this body of believers, um, and uh, and I and I don't t- cherish it. Uh, it was one of the most grievous things I've ever done in my life. Uh, and uh, the elders will attest to that. But what I found is is that if I bring people into the place of submission to the Word of God, I don't have to deal with that. So if you hang around me very long, you will note that I have a single-minded, very narrow-minded, myopic view of life. Okay? No, I do not care whether the Broncos beat Indiana this week. I don't care. I Sorry, I don't know. Um, but I'm—I, I, I, you know, it's—it's it's just not a concern to me. Uh, my concern is that every saint that crosses my path is submitted to the authority of Scripture. Okay, um, that's what drives me. Why? Here's why. Uh, I was going back through some stuff. Uh, Stephanie's in the process of. Uh, interpreting some messages that I preached (laughs) uh, on the body of Christ, the church. And as I go through these things and I see these, uh, they're pretty staggering, uh, some of the stuff that I got. And it brought back, as I'm going through and editing them to to make them smaller, uh, I see stuff that I dealt with. And I was looking at some stuff on Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and how uh, he warned the church of what was coming. Okay? And in warning the church... I look at it now, we're 2003. His warning came out in uh, early 1970. Okay, Uh, I think it was 71. And exactly what he said is here. And it's in uh, full tilt. Uh, Why? Many do not teach the Word of God. Did you know that? There are many churches who do not teach the Word of God. They will talk about the Word of God, they will express the Word of God, but when it comes to the exposition, explaining the text, there are very, very few who do. Okay? What happens is they will not build into their people a submission to the Word of God. All right? Then a problem comes. All right? this man of God and in some cases a woman of God will then try to offer a biblical solution to the problem. Um, and the people can't relate to it because they've never set under the fact that the Bible is the authority. I am submitted to the authority and I have seen the authority in its faithfulness of he who penned it down who would be God is faithful. Okay? So this problem comes up, this teacher in their best intentions tries to give them a biblical understanding, the people cannot relate to the biblical understanding and they assume that it is just another opinion. Okay? They do not have the mind of submission to the word of God, Romans chapter twelve verses one and two said, "I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? Present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pure. This is your act of worship." Okay, how does that look, Paul? Do not be conformed to this world. This world. That word "conformed" means uh, to take with under pressure and force it into a mold. Okay, But be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Okay, We've already looked at it that the church in Corinth, as the church in America today, has brought the philosophy and understanding and wisdom of man into the body of Christ and cannot understand why the body of Christ seems inept. Um, I prefer the t- term, the body of Christ is crippled. Okay, it comes out of a lot of different areas and a lot of different views. But, but part of the, the single greatest problem is a lack of understanding of what the Scripture teaches. And then those who do have an understanding of what the t- Scripture teaches, it is great as long as everything is going my way. But when a test comes to tell you or to test you to see, do you believe? We will revert back to our philosophy, our understanding and what we see. All right? So I want to deal with this because it's the misunderstood right attitude of a Christian. The right attitude of a Christian. What is that? What is the foundational point of the attitude of a Christian? And I'm going to develop this for this day. I and mean, I praise God for you who are here because uh, I know the power of this message uh, because of what it's done what it did to me. All right. Turn with me first to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, that would be to the right. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. But you understand that your context comes out of verse 30. Your context says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is an engagement ring to a child of God. And that child of God has the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit, to literally make the Holy Spirit weep in sorrow. Okay? Now, many of us have done this. Some of us never knew we did it. Some of us did know that we did it. But I want you to look at this because it says in verses 31 and 32, how do I keep from grieving the Holy Spirit? Look at it. Let. There's some words. Don't, yeah, don't you. Some, man, sometimes when he uses those words, you just. Paul, why did you use that word? Because when you translate the word all from the original language, what does he say? It means. You guys are all Greek scholars. I did not realize. It says let all bitterness and. If you're Scottish, it sounds like this. wrath. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Malice is just general meanness. Okay? And so your general meanness, get rid of it. All of it. Along with all the rest of it okay and here's how you know if you've been successful you'll be kind to one another okay kindness is that thing that I reach out and I do before the person is expecting it okay kindness is an offensive tool it's not a defensive or reactive okay then look at the next word tenderhearted. do you know what the word Terry means was I misnamed or what that's what my name means. I read that and said, "Boy, did we mess that one up?" Okay. See, that's what my dad named me, and boy, did he butcher that one. Okay. But see, that's what happens when you name people before you realize what you've done. Anyway, but it says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and what? Forgiving each other. How?" also has forgiven you, as, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Okay? Now, ask yourself a question. Sit here. We're thinking about this holiday, the birth of the little baby and the little cool stuff that goes on and all the rest of it, and I want you to think about it, this. How kind was the Lord Jesus Christ to you? Now, I don't, I don't want you to talk, I don't want you to think about your job or your 401K or what, but ask yourself a simple question. Jesus Christ, your personal relation with Jesus Christ, how kind was Jesus Christ to you? Because, see, this is how I went through this. I, I can't really get into how kind he was to me, and he still is to me. But I want you to think about it. Ask yourself this How tender hearted is the Lord Jesus Christ to you? How forgiving is the Lord Jesus Christ to you? That's mind boggling. I mean, it just sits there and you go. Give me a headache. I was thinking about this as I was driving across the desert of Nevada the other day when uh, Susie called. I was in Nevada, <laughs> about 80 miles an hour in a nice Pontiac Grand Prix, <laughs> headed for the ocean. Got to the ocean, realized you can't run any far, you might as well go back home. <laughs> but anyway, um, that verse that you see right there, specifically verse 32, is a statement on the principle of forgiveness. Okay, now ask yourself a question. We are to forgive one another. Okay? What is the standard? As Christ has forgiven you. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Now, be, now you gotta put your thinking caps on. I know we're getting ready to eat. We're not eating yet. Okay? What has Christ forgiven you of? Okay? Do it from my perspective. This is how I did it. And this is why tender hearted don't fit. <clears throat> what hasn't he forgiven me of? Think about it. As you sit here this day, what has not the Lord Jesus Christ forgiven you of? You know what's bizarre? He's forgiven you of stuff you haven't even done yet. Let me explain something. That's the standard. Okay? You know how I can tell whether people are self-righteous or not, you know, legalistic? When it comes to forgiveness. How do you forgive as Christ forgive in your own strength? Okay? Can you encompass the breadth of what is just said there? Can you... Understand the depth, the height, the principle can only be measured by understanding how much God has forgiven you. That is the standard by which we are called to forgive one another. And he does it in one sentence. He summarizes what I call the law of personal relationships. Okay. What is the greatest commandment? Remember the scribe? What was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. There, you exist in a world of two relationships. A relationship to deity and a relationship to His people. His all peoples. That's all you get. Okay? You are a relationship-built creature. You were designed to have relationships. You have a vertical and a horizontal relationship. All right? And you can summarize all of it in the two commandments. All right? We're looking at the second. Okay? We're looking at the relationship. You can take the ten commandments and make them two. I do the first one is love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if I love my neighbor as myself, will I covet Will I honor my parents? Will I commit adultery? See, just go down. Will I steal? Will I profane? No. It's already taken care of if I love. And part of that is what you do. You all, everybody here has heard the golden rule? Some of you are shaking your heads. And so, that one that says, do unto others before they do unto you? Ain't that it? Yeah, let's see. All right, right. what does it say? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you? That's not it. That's not the standard. The standard is do unto others as Christ has done unto you. Whoa, just got big, didn't it? Because you can have somebody stick you in the back and say, I'm justified. You forgive others in the same way with the same total forgiveness that Christ exercised on your behalf in all things. That's transformation of salvation. That's an absolute truth. Did you know that? Let me take you to a text. I remember my wife doing this one John's gospel chapter 13 everybody cruise over to the left okay if you get to Malachi the Italian prophet you've gone too far you want Matthew Mark Luke John John 13 verse 12 he concludes with what has happened Verse 12, John's Gospel 13, verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garment and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? Okay, he's just got done washing his disciples' feet. And, and, and Peter, in his great humility and spiritualness, says, You shall not wash my feet. And Jesus, in his great spiritualness, said, If I do not wash your feet, you will have no part of me. And Peter and his great insight. Give me a bath. <laughs> Alright. I mean, have you ever done that? Has anybody ever had it? I know my wife did it in her Sunday school class once, and everybody just sort of oh. Okay? One of the most traumatic things I've ever seen in my life. Everybody come to going. Right. Have you? The Church of the Brethren practice it, some other denomination practices. Has anybody here experienced it? Yeah, I ain't admitting to it. I ain't admitting mine. He's gonna make me get up. He's got a bowl of water back there, and he's going. I know what he's gonna do. (laughs) They're all afraid of me. All right. I've never had it done, and I've never done it. And I pray to God that it doesn't happen. Okay. Uh, You know, you never know. But I just, I don't. I'm just not into that right now. Okay. Look what he says though. He says, do you know what I've done? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one of you who is sent greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed. And if you do them, Okay? The example is the lowliest servant in the house was a foot washing servant. When the guests of the home would come into the house, they got them sandals on and they'd been out in the dust. And so to get around in the house, they would wash their feet. And there was a servant that stood at the door and he had washed the feet of the guests of the master's house. And Jesus did that to his disciples. Okay? And he gave that as an example. All right, It is the, 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 the principle of, of, of what happens. All right. Um, What kind of behavior does a Christian have towards another Christian? I'm willing to wash feet. I'm willing to do the menialest task in any saint's life and do it without grumbling, do it without complaining. I'm willing to do it even as Christ has treated me treated me that's the principle of interpersonal relationships did you know that let me explain something to you about personal relationships Um, I am not a people person I've never been a people person Uh, and I tell you what I take great joy at times being by myself there's not only that there's times I seek that time out for myself I don't want to be around people okay Now, now please hear all of this, all right? I, I, I want you to hear all of this, okay? Because the Lord Jesus Christ said, you will be a servant unto my people. Who? Who will be a servant unto the people of Christ? Ask yourself a question. Ask yourself right now, if you're a child of God, who... In the body of Christ is a servant unto the people in the body of Christ. Any takers? Who's the servant? He who is saved is the servant. Now, the Lord pointed out to me quickly and abruptly and to my great dismay that in what I'm going to do, what do I have to do? I have to have interpersonal relationships a plethora of them okay so God in his infinite wisdom gave me my wife my wife loves people all people she wants to bring them all home she does can I keep it where did you find it but she does okay now how hard is that for me I'm under great therapy. <laughs> God said, Let me explain this to you, Terry. You don't have an option. It's not about you, it's about me. You will become, you hear, hear all the things? I don't like being vulnerable. I got news for you, I have to run around almost buck naked. All right? It is a principle that he's saying is, how can you serve one another as I have if you don't want to be around them? How do you serve somebody from a distance? And, and you know, every one of you is going to do the same thing that I fight with. I don't mind serving nearly as much as I mind being served. Right? Think about it. You're washing feet. It's easier to wash the feet than to have somebody wash your feet. Why? It's pride. I can do it. I can handle it. I can accomplish this. And yet all of that has been dealt with right here in our very text. That is the attitude of a Christian. How does Christ treat you? How can we treat each other? Turn with me. I want to show you that this is not a vague concept. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. As back to the right, past the book of Ephesians and Philippians. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 12 and 13. Verses 12 and 13 say this. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved. I like that. Okay? That's good stuff right there, man. All right? What does it say? It says, I am to put something on. All right? You know what that implies? It's not normally worn. Okay? Because I am chosen by God, holy by God, I have to put on a new outfit. All right? And my new outfit looks like this. It is a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then comes that wonderful thing. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever... Has a New American Standard translated a complaint. Some of yours may translate it a quarrel against who? What a drag, huh? It's like that all word. All and anyone. What does that mean? All and anyone. All right? So he gives you in verse 12, he says, Because God has chosen you holy and beloved. You need to get changed into the right duds. Why? Because you can't do verse 13 if you're not wearing the right clothes. Right? Verse 12 says, I need to put on a heart inner man... That's, that's where the seat of my emotions are. That's where my conscience is. That's where all the things that I have that, that are between me and God, that even, you know, maybe your wife or your husband don't even know. That's that, that core of you. He says, you need to be dressed in there. And here's what you need to be dressed with. A heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Why? Because you will be bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. What a drag, huh? Let me give you a little insight. Jesus washed his disciples feet alright he says this is how I want you to be if you do these things you'll be blessed okay I'm telling you uh, from now on I'm telling you that you'll pass it on to those so when it does occur you may believe that I am he alright truly truly I say to you whoever receives whomever sends me receives me receives him who sent me do you see what he's saying you can't have part of this. You gotta have all of it, okay? And whoever comes and props their feet up in your face to have you wash them, wash them. When the person sits down in front of you and says, "I want to wash your feet," you let them. Whoever chooses to serve, you should let them serve. Why? Because we're going to bear with one another, and we will do it through a heart of forgiveness in what things. He says, whoever has a complaint, you still forgive. Whoever is complaining against you, whoever is quarreling against you, you forgive. That is the standard of forgiveness. Okay? What is the limit of Christ's forgiveness? What is the limit of your forgiveness? Okay. Remember in chapter 5, he said that man who had taken his father's wife and was in morality? All right? He did what? He says, You restore them so they're not overwhelmed with grief if they repent, if they change. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to just touch this, and this text I've just sort of been fighting with myself. It's. Kind of a staggering thing. Chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, he says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. We got that? That's that Baptist thing of born again. You're a new creature. What does that mean? Go back to the sixth day of creation. You're a new one. All right? Old things have passed away. Behold, behold, new things have come. In context of what I've been teaching, what would be one of the new things that have come? An overwhelming heart of forgiveness in all things. Hmm. Now all things are from God who reconciled, who's rescued us, who has redeemed us. To himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgress- trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making, grab that, as though God were making an appeal. How? Read your text. Through who? It's the preacher. It's the elder. What did he do? He said, I have come to reconcile the world. And now you will do what? Reconcile. I will redeem people. I will rescue people. I will make that renewed relationship between me and my creation. And the heart of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is foundation for the forgiveness of sin. Yours and mine. Therefore, we are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ and that ministry is proclaimed today among the lost and dying sinners of the world through who? Through us. Through us. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Forgiveness. We are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. Ask yourself, how much are you to forgive somebody? It's easy. Only as much as Christ has forgiven me. See, that's not a trick question. The right attitude of a Christian towards another is forgiveness. In all things. And it doesn't matter what he or she has done. It doesn't matter how it hurts. It doesn't matter what it was. It is an obligation of a child of God to forgive. Turn with me to another text. The Gospel of Luke. Because the question will come up. Or maybe it won't. (laughs) It did for me. The Gospel of Luke chapter 17. How many times do I forgive them? Because, you know, if I say, uh, you know, you've repented, they come to you and they're sorry, and I say, I forgive you, and then they walk out and they do the same thing to you, how many times, you know, how many times do I keep forgiving them and, and all the rest of that? You know, because there's, there are people who are like that in our lives. I will take you to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 3. Some of your translations will say, be alert. Mine says, be on your guard. Okay, if the Lord God says, "Pay attention," we should really pay attention, shouldn't we? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you don't. When God says, "I need you to be on guard for this," it's sort of like, "What? What? What do I? What do I? Be on guard? What? What? What?" Look what He says: If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Cool. We like the rebuke part, don't we? I rebuke you. You're, you know, you're sinning against me. Look what he says, verse four. And if he sins against you seven times a day, and turns to you seven times saying, "I repent," what is my response? There's certain texts that just don't do us a bit of good to find, is there? Well, I think the first six, he didn't mean it. Who's on the throne? Okay. I forgive. What if they keep doing it? Even if they do it seven times a day, what are you supposed to do? Forgive. A Christian, this is the attitude. It's a very simple principle that a Christian has towards his, towards a, a, a brother. Okay. Now then, you say, but I don't... Understand that that is da- we're supposed to kick people out of the church and we're supposed to rebuke people and they just keep doing it over and over and that don't, don't make sense. Read verse five. <laughs> okay, because that's exactly what the apostles are thinking. Well, let me tell you something, Lord. You just don't understand. They just keep doing this and doing. And you know what, Lord? I'm convinced that I'm enabling them. I keep forgiving and I'm just going to enable them and they're just going to continue on. And what does the Lord say? Come to me, I'll strengthen your faith. Why? Who's on the throne? Absolutely nothing falls into the category of beyond forgiveness. But what about blaspheming the Holy Spirit? You ain't Him. Okay? So you don't, that's, you don't even need to stress over that one. Okay? There's nothing that anybody has ever done to you in any situation that is unforgivable. Nothing. Nor will there ever be. Whatever they've done, How they've wounded you, how they've offended you, however they've grieved you, however they've injured you, it really doesn't matter what it is. There's no such thing as something you can't forgive. Okay? Hold on, hold on. How can you say that? Well, it's simple. There is absolutely nothing that you have ever done in your life that is outside of the forgiveness of God. And that's the standard. Okay? We forgive one another as we have been forgiven. See, that's the right attitude that he's talking about in 7 and 8, of 1 Corinthians 6. Hold on, hold on. minute, wait a minute you've even preached it that there are consequences for your sin yep, there are okay, when you sin who do you sin against who when Paul was going to the Damascus road to arrest Christians and the Lord Jesus appeared to him who was Paul persecuting It was, why are you persecuting me? Who's on the throne, people? Who gives the consequences to the penalty of sin? We have only one consequence, and that's that a non-repentant brother. We kick him or a sister, we set him outside of the body of Christ, and let Satan teach the flesh a lesson. That's it. there's consequences to that. Who gives the consequences? God does. You don't. You don't have the authority. You don't have all the information. You don't have the right. You don't have the ability. Why? What have you been forgiven of? When you come to Christ and you believe in Him, is there any sin at that point that is unforgivable? But what if I just didn't know and I sinned? Still forgiven. What if I know and I sinned? You repent. It's forgiven. It's still forgiven if you don't repent. I even showed you that at the immorality case in chapter five, you set them outside of the body of Christ. Satan can even kill them, but what happens to their spirit? They're still saved, which means they are still forgiven. If you're not forgiven, you can't go into His presence. If you are forgiven, you have to be forgiven for what? How much? All of it, and anything, any time. Let me ask you a question. Do I need to illustrate this? I'm looking at Stephanie of you. Stephanie's saying, please don't illustrate it. Okay. okay. Stephanie's praying. The rest of you are thinking, oh, my Lord, he might. No, I don't have to illustrate this. All I have to do is take you. You see that piece of glass right there that you can reflect back? Okay? You got somebody who's offended you. I want you to go to that piece of glass or in your house and you look in it and say, Lord, what have you not forgiven me of? That's all you have to do. And then you can just turn around from that and deal with the person or people or situation that is in front of you. It just doesn't matter. You know what? It don't matter if it's a moral issue. It doesn't matter if it's a religious issue. It doesn't matter. You know what? I was looking at this. If it's the world's worst false teacher, if they change, they are forgiven. Okay? You come and you prostrate yourself before the Lord, there is absolutely nothing that is unforgivable. Nothing is unforgivable. You grab this. The soldier who pounded the nails into his feet and his hands. Think about that. It's forgiven. The soldier who stuck the spear in his side. Forgiven. The crown of thorns. He smashed that thing onto his head. on all that vascular of your skin around your brain. It's forgiven. They hung a robe over him and mocked him and sucker punched him. Can be forgiven. They spit on him. He hung on the cross, and what was His words? Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. When they were throwing stones at a prophet of God, the, the martyr of the Stephen, what did Stephen say? He looked to heaven, he seen Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and he said what? Forgive them. Do not hold this on their account. Please do not tell me that this is impossible. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says, I have been whipped, I have been beaten, but for my people, and yet I would give up my salvation should Israel be saved. Except for those who threw the rocks. That ain't what he says. That is the attitude of a Christian. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 He says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for His name's sakes. That is the standard. And you know what? Brothers and sisters, you can't lower it. Oh, but Terry, you don't understand what they did to me. It doesn't matter. Because you know what? You don't... You don't know what you did to God and he forgave you. That's our standard. The Corinthians were disobeying this standard. They were taking people to court. Why? Because I have my my rights. I have my rights. You know what? I could, uh, I'll just throw this one out to you. I went and looked through scripture. How did people exercise their, did Paul, I took Paul, Paul and me hang out a lot together, and I asked, is there any time that Paul exercised his civilian rights? And he did. Two times. Two times. Okay? I'm a Roman citizen. Do you know what the grounds for both of them were? for the proclamation of the Word of God. That's it. It was never for personal comfort. It was never... I mean, he could have got some people for stoning him and leading him for dead out in in Derby. But he didn't. Two times he goes before the pro-council and he says, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm going to take this thing to the Supreme Court in Rome. And both times he was dealing with the fact that they said, we don't want this man preaching. And he says, whoa. I'm going to take my rights as a Roman citizen. You're not going to make me stop preaching. Okay, so I I hope that with this we see that this is not a hidden theological principle. The Corinthians were ignoring it. And instead of forgiving each other, they were um, suing each other. And they were doing it for the purpose of gouging one another in court. I will get my pound of flesh. And people will try to say, see, that's the consequences of your sin. No, it isn't. That's the consequences of disobedience. If you go back to our text there in, in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, actually then, it is already a defeat to you that you have lawsuits against one another. Now do you understand what he means that it's a defeat against you? You show nothing, anything at all that would represent Christ. The attitude of Christ is... Forgiven. I will forgive. I will serve one another. Verse 8 says, On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, and you even do this to your brethren. And literally, that word wronged is, is has to do with robbing people. I'm taking you to court to prove a point. No, I'm taking you to court to line my pockets. He already makes, he'll make a statement further. He says that without love in this fellowship, you're nothing but a real loud noise you're a clanging gong or a cymbal. Anytime body did something wrong, there was bitterness, there was vengeance, there was self-seeking and it was unforgiving and you take it to court. And I'll conclude with that because it says you have misunderstood the position of the church. The church is only going to rule the world. The church is only going to rule angels. And in verse 4 he says, the literal translation, if you look at that, it shouldn't be a question, it's a statement. It says that you can take the least saint and have them, them make a judgment it's better going to the unbelievers. The least saint, the most inept saint can do a better job of breaking down and giving a right decision on a judgment than taking it to lost people. Let the saints make the decision. Matthew 18. You go to him the first time. You tell him that what they are doing is sin. If they choose not to do it with you, take a witness and you confront them again. If they choose not to do with it, then you take it before the elders of the church. And then the elders of the church will confront the person. And if they do nothing. Then they, we will present it before the body of Christ. Okay. And then you will treat that person as what? An unbeliever. How do you treat unbelievers? You try to share with them the gospel. You try to share with them the forgiveness of Christ. You will exercise your ministry of reconciliation. That's our text. I'm going to ask you a personal question. It would be blanket, but it would be a personal question. Is there anybody... Right now that you're holding a grudge against. Then you will stand before God this very moment. Either with now a forgiving heart or an unforgiving heart. That's our standard. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for this time. Lord, I give you the praise for your forgiveness that you poured forth from heaven. Father, that you hung on that cross. Lord, that's so astonishing to me. Oh my king, my Lord, my Savior. Let us bow before your word with joy in our hearts to understand that you are on your throne, you have oversight of all things, and Father, your grace and your mercy will only grow more and more. Father, may we walk worthy. May we walk as ambassadors the lord jesus christ exercising reconciliation before your saints father may our lives be lives solely and holy forgiveness to your praise and glory in christ's name amen